It's time to call our shots on today's episode. We have our college football conference championship predictions. We discuss the latest head coaching vacancies. We nominate our weekly Adam Gase Awards. And then we offer our NFL weekend forecast. Stay tuned for Monday's episode. We're going to record another CMS Sports History where we rank the top 10 centers in NHL history. If you like our show, you can follow us on Twitter at CallOurShots. Tweet at us. Let us know how we're doing. Let's get into it. Making their way to the ring. The reigning, defending, podcast champs. Calling my shots. There's only one way you can take this. And it's in that ring. It's officially conference championship week. We have so many incredible games lined up this weekend with huge playoff implications. Zach, what's going on? You ready for conference championship week? And I mean, it's kind of sad, though, because really the college football season is almost over. Yeah, it's crazy. It seems like it's gone just as fast as it came. So sucks. But hey, we got some hella good games this weekend. Yeah, pretty soon we're going to have to shift our focus into something else because football altogether will be gone. It always goes by way too fast. You just have to enjoy every single game while you can. And especially even with a COVID shortened season, it really flew by. No doubt about it. For sure. For sure. We'll have to do some hockey dives or some more baseball dives or something to hold us over until um, hockey kicks up, if it ever does. And speaking of that, on Monday, we're going to release our top 10 NHL centers of all time. We've been doing a ton of research on this. It's some more CMS sports history for you. Yeah, it should be a good one. Make sure to check it out. We've got a lot of good stuff in there for you. All right, so let's get started. Before we dive straight into our conference championship picks, we have to start out with our favorite segment and your favorite segment, the weekly Adam Gase Award, otherwise known as the AGA. So Zach, who are you nominating this week for worst coaching blunders that you saw? All right, so before I get into this, did you watch the LSU-Florida game on Saturday? We will talk about that here in a few minutes, or Shoegate, as some are calling it. But I'm nominating Dan Mullen for two reasons, really. So for everybody who does not know, which is zero people, Marco Wilson threw an LSU wide receiver's cleat down the field after they made a key stop on third down. They got called for an excessive celebration penalty, a personal foul, gave LSU a first down, went on to win the game. So why I tell you this is that means that Florida, Dan Mullen, Marco Wilson, and all these Gators – we're not ready for the big time. You don't see Alabama doing that. You don't see Clemson doing that. These teams act like they've been there before. Florida hasn't been there in a while, I understand. But my goodness, you got to have some understanding of the situation. So that is my first reason. And my second reason is Kyle Pitts, the tight end for Florida, who has just been wrecking defenses all year, who is arguably one of the best players in the country, did not play in this game because Dan Mullen set him out so he could be 100% for Alabama. Well, that kind of came back to bite him, didn't it? Florida's offense was stifled most of the game, couldn't really get a lot going. Boy, Kyle Pitts sure would have been a nice target down there. So I'm picking uh, Danny Boy, Dan Million as some call him. I'm taking Dan Mullen. What you got? I think that is a very worthy nomination, and it seems to me like Dan Mullen was coaching scared. You know, you could say he was trying to protect his star player, but 
they needed to win that game. And now we can get into this a little bit later, but even if Florida somehow wins the SEC championship, I can't imagine that they'll get put into the college football playoff. So that was a horrible coaching blunder, very worthy nomination. And I've also never seen a player throw a shoe 20 yards downfield and cost them the game. Just, looking at the, Kyle, the program. just looking at the Kyle Pitts thing, man. It, it, to me, that is Dan Mullen saying, hey, we don't need our best players to win this game. And we don't have to play our best to win this game. And again, boy, that put his foot right in his mouth. That sure came back to bite him. Pride comes before the fall. <laughs> So my nomination for the AGA this week is none other than offensive coordinator Shane Steichen for the Los Angeles Chargers. And I'd like to throw Anthony Lynn in here too, because one, he hired him. And also Anthony Lynn, I am still surprised he still has a head coaching job. But anyway, so Shane Steichen decides to run the ball on third and one with 22 seconds left before halftime against the Falcons. They were down 17 to 10. And he calls a run play and the running back doesn't go out of bounds at all. So then they try to rush their field goal unit on and can't get it off in time because there was too many players on the field. And then the game clock expired. I don't know how you can make such a horrible blunder at this level and how you can maintain a job after a mistake like that. I can't even imagine many high school offensive coordinators that would make that play call. I mean, it's football 101, common sense. They're very lucky they won the game because if they didn't, the guy probably would have gotten blasted more. At that level, that can't happen. I just think it's uncalled for, and it just shows you the Chargers coaching staff and how incompetent they are. No, that's a really good one. You know, at the NFL level and even at the college level, we take these things for granted that, hey, time management, player management, who lines up where, we always think that these things are just given. If an NFL coach can't get his shit together, what does that say for the rest of the staff and his players? I mean, it's just a mess. That's just unacceptable. At the highest level, that should never happen. I'm actually surprised Anthony Lynn called him out. I figured it could have been part of their game plan with the way that they've been managing the clock all season. So That's a good pick. That's a good pick. I like it. Let's quickly move into some breaking news. We have Clark Lee, just hired by Vanderbilt, Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. Can't say I'm that surprised by this hire, and I actually think this is a very good hire for Vanderbilt. That was kind of my initial gut reaction. Notre Dame's defense has been elite every single year that he's been there. He's also a Vanderbilt Nashville man himself. I think he really resonates well with the program, and he's a top-notch recruiter. Vanderbilt got a really good hire here, and who knows, maybe he can make them somewhat competitive in the SEC again. I think it's a good hire. Let's be honest. Vanderbilt is the hardest SEC job that there is. Not only are you in a cutthroat conference with the Alabamas and the Floridas of the world, you also have ultra high academic standards and all of your athletes must be held to those standards. So let's be honest here. Vanderbilt's not going to win the national championship in three years, but I think this is a good building hire. This guy, I believe it's his first head coaching job. He's going to get out there and kind of prove what he's got. It should be good for the Commodores, and um, maybe he can make a little history without having to put a little female kicker in there. <laughs> good take. Tara Fuller, did, she did well this week. I'm glad she did, by the way. Yeah, I think it's a great hire. They kind of had to take a chance on someone, and as I alluded to earlier, Notre Dame's defense has been elite for many years under him, and a good hire for Vanderbilt considering the other options that they had, and because he's an alum and can resonate with the program, I think it should speak well for him. Would you agree that it's the worst job in the SEC? I mean, I'm yes. just looking at I'm just looking for, at for past fo- for football, yes. But sure. I would say for, 
and a couple other sports like baseball, Vanderbilt no. probably the best coaching job you could get. For sure. Well, getting double the amount of scholarships everybody else gets doesn't hurt. But I'm, I'm just saying, you look at uh, their number of players in the NFL, you look at the number of coaches, although James Franklin, boy, how did he pull some wool over some people's eyes going from Vanderbilt up to Penn State? So, But I, I'm just saying, I, I don't think it's, um, it's a really tough job. You're right. I think you have to get someone in there that loves the place and can connect to it. And um, time will tell if Clark Lee can do that. Yep. So... Another crazy announcement, Auburn pays $21 million to fire their head football coach, Gus Malzahn. So there's been a lot of talk about different candidates. Most people, from what I've been researching so far, are saying that it's Hugh Freeze's job to lose. And apparently there's already been speculation with Liberty searching for a new coach, recruiting from some Texas high schools. Those are just some of the rumors going around. I know some people are also saying that Kevin Steele is a fan favorite and a favorite for the boosters. But you're also getting guys like Billy Napier getting thrown around and then Mario Cristobal. So Zach, who do you think is the favorite to replace him? And then also... Let's get into Gus Malzahn a little bit because I have an earful for Auburn boosters because I don't think that he deserved to be let go. I have heard a little bit of the Hugh Freeze thing, but the two main names I have heard is Mario Cristobal and Kevin Steele. I think the fan base wants Kevin Steele because Auburn has had some really good defenses the last few years, but we'll see on that. Man, Gus, this $21 million buyout, he's getting half in the next 30 days and he's going to get the other half in the next four years. And it's weird. He was 68 and 35 and 39 and 27 conference play over his eight years. He's averaged more than eight wins a year and won the SEC in 2013 and played for it again in 2017 in the championship. And he's three and five against Saban with the most wins against Alabama in the last decade. This has been rumored to be going on, you know, even before when Gus signed his seven year extension a few years ago. Auburn fans are fiery, they don't want to be little brother. I understand their frustration. They're never going to be Alabama, but by God, they want to beat them every year. So they want championships. I think Auburn's a top 15 job right there in maybe top 15 to 20 at least. They're going to be able to get a big name. It's just who's out there. I don't know that the big names are out there. They're not going to go after Harbaugh or anybody. So we'll see. I'm betting it's going to be Kevin Steele. That's my bet. What do you think? Well, a lot of the rumor mill, like I said, with Liberty basically searching for new head coaches and declaring that Hugh Freeze is on his way out. There's been a lot of connections with that. I'll be interested to see how that shapes up. I don't think that he would be an upgrade over Malzahn necessarily. You're probably right, though, about Kevin Steele. If boosters were willing to pay $21 million, they clearly have a lot of sway and influence as to who they want to replace Malzahn. But I want to get a little bit into his coaching record also, because you mentioned some of his stats already. But the other thing is, he's won the SEC West twice during his tenure. That's more than any other team in the SEC West against Nick Saban for any head coach. That's pretty hard to do, considering you're going up against arguably the greatest coach of all time. The only knock I think that Auburn fans might be a little bit justified in is Malzahn's record in bowl games. But he's 68-35, and 39-27. And in 2017, they beat two number one ranked teams. They went on that incredible run. They beat Georgia. They beat Alabama. Every single year, I mean, with Malzahn, sure, they could be unpredictable at times, but they were still a team that could literally beat anybody in the country at any given time. And I don't know that you can find another coach that can replace that. So I don't know if it's something going on internally 
or if they really think there's a better candidate out there. But I think Malzahn will get another job pretty much instantaneously, and whoever gets him is going to get a hell of a coach. Well, you talked about Hugh Freeze replacing Malzahn, which is pretty wild. It'd kind of be ironic because uh, Gus Malzahn was actually the coach of Arkansas State in 2012 and then jumped to Auburn. And then Hugh Freeze was the Arkansas State coach in 2013, replaced him there before he went to Ole Miss. So kind of funny there. I've been pretty close to this rivalry. I mean, I lived in the next state over for a long time and and it's passionate. Bo Nix has not turned out the way they thought he would being a five-star all-world everything. Auburn typically has at least with Gus Malzahn and Kevin Steele, they've always had really good defensive lines, good linebackers, and and you know so-so safeties and, and cornerbacks and stuff. But the defense has always been really good. And then they've had a good mobile quarterback who can run through the pass, through the RPOs, and have a good running back back there. And it just seemed like nothing really came together this year. But I will say this, Auburn, even when they beat Alabama and Georgia a few years ago, and all you got to do is look at this year too against Arkansas at Ole Miss, man, they got some of the luckiest breaks I think I've ever seen. One of my dear friends is an Auburn fan, and he told me that Gus was gone before the year started, he was like, "It's over," and I was like, "Yeah," but but lo and behold, he was right, man. I'm just I'm kind of shocked. Want, that the, did he want Gus out? He did. He did. He wanted. You know, Gus was supposed to be this offensive guru and everything, and and the defense had been slipping of late. Uh, part of that's Kevin Steele, but the other part of it's recruiting. Do you want another offensive guru slash? You know, what's the new fad? I, I don't know. I don't know what they need. I don't want to discount and say that Malzahn's not an offensive guru because you look at a guy like Jared Stidham, who honestly looks terrible in the NFL, but if you look at all the success that he had in college, I think you can attribute that a lot to what Gus Malzahn did in developing him. Yeah, 10 years. And man, also eight, Cam Newton also. Eight years ago, because he, he ran the spread and all these motions and stuff. He, it was it was wild. I mean, Brandon Marshall was his quarterback after Cam Newton was one of the best SEC quarterbacks I can remember because he could move and he could fling it. But when rules changed to allow substitutions on defense – it seems like the players were able to come in fresh on the defensive side of the ball, and that really hurt his kind of – I mean, you look at some of Auburn's numbers from 2013, 2014, 2015 compared to now. Man, you could argue they got just as much talent now, but the numbers are way down. It's it's because of the rule changes, and I think that really hurt Malzahn. Yeah, that's a very good point. So quickly, let's talk about Oregon representing the Pac-12 North in the Pac-12 championship. So Washington, they had too many scholarship players get covid and so they become ineligible to play. So now Oregon is going to face off against USC in the Pac-12 championship. What do you think about this? I know there's not much you can do about it, but it's a it's a tough break for Washington on a year that really they should be in the Pac-12 championship. No doubt. This sucks for Washington. They didn't get to play the Apple Cup against Washington State, which, you know, it sucks because that's a big rivalry up there. And I'll say this. Yes, they would have loved to play in it, but the only silver lining for Jimmy Lake and his team up there is that they were not undefeated. Like USC, if this would have been USC and the roles were reversed, USC is undefeated and they're not, to me, I don't think they're going to get in the playoff, but there's people arguing for them. Washington was 3-1. and one. They weren't getting in no matter what. I think that's the only thing. Like if Washington could have springboarded off of the Pac-12 championship into the playoffs, this would have been devastating. But, you know, it sucks. But somebody was going to miss the conference championship game. I guess it just had to be Washington. That's a good point. And honestly, I don't know that Oregon is much worse than Washington. If you look at their numbers statistically, I mean, Oregon's lost two games in a row, but you could make the argument that Oregon 
has better players and is the better team overall. So sure. And then quickly, Jim Harbaugh is very confident that he's not going to lose his job. He's first saying that he's going to talk about a contract extension with the athletic director next year. It seems like Michigan's still keeping their faith in him. What are your thoughts about that? Man, he's getting by by the skin of his teeth. They are two and four, which is terrible. Even in a COVID year, Michigan football should never be two and four. I don't know, man. He um, he needs a good showing if they play in a bowl game. I'll just say that. If they come out and get drummed, if they make a bowl game and play in it, then there may be some uh, some rotten in Denmark action going on. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you think he's going to stick? I think he's going to stick around at least for next year, but that seat is hot as hell. I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan goes ahead and cans him and they're just not announcing it. And, you know, Harbaugh really does think that he might keep his job, but I could also see him getting one more year just because of his name and his resume. Overall, this year has been disastrous for their program. You know, it seems like they've taken about four steps backwards and I really don't know what to make of this year. I tell you another name to watch out for this weekend. So Tennessee plays Texas A&M. Tennessee's had a dreadful year this year, barely beating Bandy last week. They obviously ran away with it at the end. But if Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee do not put a good showing out this weekend against Texas A&M, he may get the axe. Probably not going to win, but if they get blown out. What does that say about Tennessee's recent ability to hire coaches? Because Going into this year, Tennessee fans, hell, even a lot of people in the SEC were convinced that Jeremy Pruitt was going to be the guy that would save the Tennessee program. I really don't know that the Tennessee program is what it used to be, and I don't think that it will ever get back to where they were under Peyton Manning. I think people are overselling it a lot, and they're still convinced it's one of the top SEC jobs. I'm really not so convinced anymore. Well, three and six ain't going to cut it. Um, you may be right. It may have faltered off a little bit, but the thing is, Jeremy Repruitt has recruited top 15 every year he's been there for three years, and he's putting another one together. I mean, it's just the athletes are there. They are just one, they don't have a quarterback. Garantano was supposed to develop, didn't happen. Don't have a quarterback. Offensive weapons just never seem to be there. And then by the time the middle of the season rolls around, the defense kind of gives in. So he's in some hot water. He's going to have to turn this thing around if he wants to stay. Yeah, it's definitely shaping up to be a crazy offseason. And it's already kind of been a carousel with people getting fired and losing their jobs. We know one thing, college football is a win-now mentality. And when guys even like Gus Malzone can get fired, <laughs> having an incredible winning record, then it's a very competitive league, especially in the SEC. No doubt. So let's... Give our quick week 15 synopsis. We have LSU upsetting Florida 37 to 34. We already spoke about this a little bit earlier. I like your name, Zach, of the shoe bowl. I think it's very fitting for what happened. But do you have any more initial knee jerk reactions to it? And also, do you think that Florida is now toast? Because even if they beat Alabama, I can't imagine them making it to the college football playoffs. With oh, two Florida's toast! Florida's toast. We'll, we'll. Uh, I'll, I'll go in a little bit more on that when we talk about the SEC championship game in a few minutes. But I'll just say this: LSU obviously was terrible at the beginning of the year. The defense is now playing well. Max Johnson is really developing well. It's a true freshman quarterback in there. Got Emory Jr., this running back, five-star all-world. They're coming. That defense is pretty good, but uh, they'll get a little test this weekend when the Ole Miss Rebels play him. So we'll see how well that defense holds up there. 
Yeah, Coach O being able to flaunt his national championship ring on Zoom calls will definitely help with with recruiting. I actually, I think Max Johnson played really well and he looks like a bright spot and he might be the best quarterback on that roster. So switching to him was great. And I'm not going to fault Coach O too much on this year. They lost a lot of players to the draft. They're still bringing in great recruiting classes. They'll be back. They did. Let me say this, though. Yes, Max Johnson looks good, but then let's not act like Florida's defense was the class of the SEC. They've been middle of the road all year. But you're right. He does look good, and I think he could grow into something really good. Yeah. So then we have UNC clobbering Miami, 62-26. to You and I both picked UNC to win this game. However, I don't think we either of us imagined it to be such a blowout, but I was under the impression that Miami was one of the more overrated teams in the country, and I actually thought UNC was one of the more underrated teams. So it was a great offensive performance. Sam Howell is definitely going to get drafted, and he's really helping his capital. Man, Miami uh, never had a chance. North Carolina had the ball for 40 minutes, ran for 554 yards, had a back with 300 yards, had a back with 250 yards. You know, 778 yards of offense in 40 minutes time of possession is going to win you a lot of ball games. So good on Mac Brown. Yeah. So then we have former Gamecocks quarterback Jake Bentley leading the way with a upset win for Utah over Colorado, 38-21. to While I wasn't the biggest Bentley fan in college, it is cool to see him have some success. And I've always stated that he's a very talented quarterback. Most of it is mental with some of the decision-making that he has. But if he can figure that out, he's really a talented player. And it's cool to see him have some success. I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, look good. Look good. They outscored Colorado 28-7 to in the second half and forced a couple turnovers. So, yeah, those are usually recipes for success. I was kind of flipping through channels and heard him say the name Bentley, and I was like, huh? I <laughs> yeah. forgot he transferred. Yeah. People forgot about him. <laughs> so then we have the fake USC going undefeated with a win over UCLA. It was a very close game, but they're undefeated. The record says they're 5-0. and I will say that the Pac-12 is very mediocre, so I don't know how much to take of this, whether or not they're for real or not, but they did go undefeated, and we'll see if they can beat Oregon. Yeah, this was a pretty gutsy win. USC had to score 20 points in the fourth quarter to come back and win. Slovis had five touchdowns. He had, I think, two picks, but it was a gutsy win. It was back and forth. Chip Kelly and his boys had a chance to win, but they just couldn't pull it off, so good win for the Trojans. I have a little bit more optimism in Chip Kelly now after this year. Because going into this year, I really didn't think it was a good hire by UCLA. thought he was kind of washed up, but he's kind of resurrected his career a little bit. He's sure feeding those guys well. <laughs> so the moment you guys have all been waiting for. Let's get into some conference championship previews, and we'll also give our predictions. So starting out, first game, we just talked about them a second ago. Well, let's begin with the Pac-12 championship. We have three and two Oregon facing off against number 13, USC, who is five and zero. The Trojans are three point favorites. I called them the fake USC once, but I, I won't refer to them anymore just because they went undefeated. So I can't really shit talk them right now. So I'll give them their normal name back temporarily, but we'll see what happens in, in the championship. <laughs> so we talked about it earlier. USC scraped by UCLA last week, 43 to 38. They've played three nail-biter games this year, and they've looked beatable at times. Slovis, 
He's easily the best quarterback in the Pac-12, and I think he's kind of carrying their team. He has 1,601 yards, 15 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's really played at an elite level, and I have to wonder if they played a full schedule, if he would be in the Heisman talk, because you know he's only played in five games, so his numbers, relatively speaking, are, are solid. But Oregon, they've lost their last two games. I'm not really sure what happened. They started out the season great, but they've been on a downward spiral losing to Oregon State and Cal. Their points per game between the two teams are very similar. 34.2 for Oregon, 35.2 for USC. However, I think USC is going to continue their hot streak. I think they'll take care of business against Oregon. I'll take them and the points. Yeah, I mean, this game is played at the LA Memorial Coliseum because uh, USC has home field advantage. But uh, yeah, Slovis is hot. A lot of uncertainty with Oregon right now with uh, Cristobal maybe going to Auburn. So I'm going to take the Trojans. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites. I'll take them. Okay, let's move into the Big Ten Championship. We have number 15, 6-1 Northwestern, facing off against number three, Ohio State, who is 5-0. Ohio State is favored by 20-and-a-half points. Seems pretty ridiculous for a conference championship game, but Ohio State is one of the best teams in the country. Northwestern's sole loss came to Michigan State, but they blew out Illinois last week, resulting in Lovey Smith losing his job. They don't score a lot of points, but Northwestern has a great defense, and they like to control time of possession, like to bruise you, grind you down, typical Big Ten football. And then you have Ohio State, who is a juggernaut on offense, but a little bit susceptible on defense. We saw Indiana put up 35 points. Northwestern has had a incredible run so far, but I don't think they can contend with the Ohio State Buckeyes. What I will say, though, is I think they'll cover, but I'll take Ohio State to win. Defensively, Northwestern's better. They only allow 14.6 points per game compared to Ohio State's 23.2. The Buckeyes are going to win this, no doubt, but 20 and a half points is a lot. Northwestern can make it interesting. Yeah, I mean, this spread is gigantic, but I think it just speaks to how much Ohio State is the class of the Big Ten, and they're that much better than everybody else. You know, Fitzgerald does a great job. He does a lot with a little up there at Northwestern, but uh, nothing's going to stop Ohio State from getting in the playoffs. I think they cover, actually. Um, I'm going to take the Buckeyes. I just don't think Northwestern can hang around with them for four quarters. Okay. So next we have the Big 12 Championship, and we have number 12, Oklahoma, who is 7-2, facing off against number 8, Iowa State, who is 8-2. The Sooners are favored by five points, which is a little bit surprising to me. I figured the spread would be more around three points considering Iowa State beat them earlier in the season. They beat them 37 to 30. The Cyclones' two losses came to Louisiana and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma is on a tear right now, and they look like one of the most improved teams in the country. Rattler is easily the best Big 12 quarterback. I'm finally going to give him a little bit of credit, Zach, because I know you've been dishing me for that. But, you know, Purdy himself's not bad. He's a good quarterback. The Cyclones also have Brees Hall, who is the best running back in the Big 12. But Oklahoma only allows 88 rushing yards a game, so I think they can contain Brees Hall. I did go back and forth on this pick because I think it's going to be a really good game. But overall, I'm leaning towards the Sooners on this just because their stats are similar. Oklahoma is incredibly hot right now, and it's hard to beat the Sooners twice in a year. Lincoln Riley will be prepared. He'll know how to attack Iowa State's defense. I'll take them to win and the points. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's so hard to beat a team twice. You know, Matt Campbell and and, uh, Brock Purdy have had quite the years. They have um, 
reasonable arguments to be the coach of the year and be the uh, first team Big 12 quarterback of the year. But man, I I just don't think anything's going to stop Oklahoma from getting their revenge. I think that they're going to come out. They're going to score early. Spencer Rattler's going to have another good game and keep proving me right. I could see it being a touchdown game, but I, I think Oklahoma takes care of business. Yeah, me too. So next game, we have the Sun Belt Championship. I'm actually stoked for this matchup. I think it's one of the best matchups we have this week. So we have number 17, Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, who are 9-1, and one, facing off against number 9, Coastal Carolina, who is 11-0. The Chanticleers are favored by four points. Seems about right. They played a field goal game earlier that Coastal ended up winning 37-20. to 20. Louisiana does have a big win over Iowa State, which I think is better than any of Coastal Carolina's wins. ESPN FPI has Coastal favored at 56.9%. Grayson McCall, he's played incredible this year. He's actually one of the more underrated quarterbacks in college football. But I will say Levi Lewis, he's not really a slouch either. And Coastal definitely has the edge on offense, but Louisiana has the edge on defense. Similar to what I said earlier with my Oklahoma take, it's really hard to beat a team twice. And because it was such a nail biter last time, I'm going to take the Raging Cajuns to win this one and make it interesting in the in the Sun Belt. Yeah, like you said, McCall's had a hell of a year. 23 touchdowns, two interceptions. You know, Kershaw Carolina really squeaked by Troy after that big win at uh, BYU. Man, they were behind for a good bit of the game and had to come back and win. I, I think Napier's going to avenge his loss earlier in the year. I, I think Louisiana's going to pull this out. It's going to be close. I don't don't see um, them running away with it, but um, you know, I just think that uh, Coastal Carolina's kind of been flimsy of late with their, even though they're winning, I think it finally catches up to them. But by the way, who would have thought that the Sun Belt would have been a top 20 matchup? Kudos to them. Yeah. And even Appalachian State, they've kind of had a down year, but they've at least been, you know, respectable this year. So it's been a really, yeah. really good showing for the Sun Belt overall. And I think this is going to be an incredible game. It's going to go back and forth and it's probably going to come down to a field goal again. I just, I like the Raging Cajuns. Napier's trying to get a nice job, so I'll roll them. Next matchup, we have the ACC Championship and a huge rematch with number four Clemson, who is nine and one, facing off against number two, Notre Dame who are 10-0. and Clemsox is favored by 10.5 points. I think this is ridiculous. Just going to go ahead and say this. Sure, Ulagole was the quarterback last time, and it wasn't Trevor Lawrence. But people are forgetting that Notre Dame was also missing a few of their key wide receivers. And if you look at Clemson's offensive efficiency from what Ulagole put up, compared to what Trevor Lawrence is putting up, they're very similar. So I don't think it's such a night and day difference. And also the fact that Notre Dame has some receivers coming back and their defense has played well. Ten and a half points is ridiculous considering Notre Dame already beat Clemson once this year. Ian Book, been one of the best quarterbacks in the country, rightfully so. He is a Heisman candidate. Zach smiling because I think he knows where I'm going to go. For those who can't see, I'm giving him the Hulk Hogan ear because I know what's coming. Kyron Williams, think about this, Zach, has had a better year running the ball than Travis Etienne. Why are we not talking about him? You know, Notre Dame, obviously, we know how good their defense is with Lee Clark getting the Vanderbilt head coaching job. It's going to be a hell of a game. I think 10 and a half points is way too much and people just are completely underrating Notre Dame. I think their magic continues here. I'm picking the upset. I'm picking Notre Dame to win it. I know, Trevor, I, know, I know Trevor Lawrence is coming back, but I picked Notre Dame last time and it worked out for me. You thought I was crazy. Still, I think they have Clemson's number this year. I know Dabo and the boys are going to be seeking revenge, but 
Ulagole is a hell of a quarterback. And like I said, the contrast between him and Lawrence, offensive efficiency-wise, it's about the same. And Notre you Dame is getting some of their key wide receivers. You had, fighting so much, you had so much bullshit in your throat, you couldn't even cough it up just a minute ago. Are you kidding me? Give, yeah. give me the Irish. Trevor Lawrence is back. There is no better big game coach in college football besides Nick Saban than Dabo Sweeney. Trevor Lawrence is back. We all know Notre Dame beat him. It's different. Trevor Lawrence is playing like a man possessed. Clemson's going to win by more than two touchdowns. I'm sorry you hate him, but uh, it's reality. Clemson's winning this ball game. You think they win by more than two touchdowns? Yeah. Disagree. I think the Fighting <laughs> Irish are going to take this and shock the world. Call it a hot take, but I'm rolling with it. All right, we'll see. Do you think both – if Notre Dame loses, do you think both them and Clemson deserve a spot in the playoffs? Depending on the score of this game. If it's a blowout, Notre Dame might get snubbed out of the playoffs. But if it's a close game, then I think they have a very convincing argument. Okay. And if Clemson loses, obviously they have no chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, they're done. They're done. Trevor Lawrence will opt out. Yep. So stay tuned. The Fighting Irish are going to roll and, you know, shock the world. I'm calling my shot, Zach. You can hate on it. Uh, Okay. It's going to happen. I I take it. You're gonna take it. You're gonna pick Tulsa too, since we're just picking the huge underdogs at this moment. Well, we'll get into it. So now we have the AAC championship. <laughs> we have number twenty Tulsa, who is six and one, facing off against number six Cincinnati, who is eight and zero. Oh. Cincinnati's favored by fourteen points, rightfully so. The only thing I'll say about Cincinnati is they really haven't played anyone this year. So to me, that's the one thing that is a little bit discouraging about their resume. To Tulsa's credit, they did play a Power 5 team in Oklahoma State. They lost 16-7, to but they at least played someone relevant. The only stat that Tulsa beat Cincinnati on is passing yards per game with 251.7 compared to Cincinnati's 238.9. I got to roll with Cincinnati here. They win, and I think they cover. They're just easily the best team in the AAC. This will be their toughest test, though, of the year, and it should be a great matchup, but Cincinnati's on a hot streak. I think they continue their success and win the AAC in cover. Yeah, these two teams were supposed to play earlier in the year, but this game was canceled due to COVID complications. Tulsa's had a good year, but the Bearcats are on another level, man. I I think Desmond Riddle and Jared Oaks are going to have big days, and I think Cincinnati's going to run away with this. Two touchdowns, 17 points. I'll take the Bearcats. So we basically agree on almost every single pick besides Clemson-Notre Dame. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> just wait and see, Zach. Just wait and see. Okay. Okay. So let's so now Dalton. So now Dalton's going to take Florida, and I'm going to take Alabama for all the marbles. So we have the SEC championship. We have number one Alabama, ten and zero, versus number eleven Florida, who is eight and two. Alabama are thirteen and a half point favorites, rightfully so. With how? Let me ask you this: How much do you think last week affected the spread for for this championship game? Uh, a fair amount. I, I think it has more to do with Florida's motivation now that they are not going to make the playoff and they're in a dangerous spot of just kind of being unmotivated than it actually did their performance against LSU. That's my personal opinion. What do you yeah, think? I, yeah, I think it did. I mean, I, I would imagine it being more of a seven-point spread had Florida took care of business against LSU. But I will say Kyle Trask, he's thrown 40 touchdowns this year with only five interceptions. I still think he's a very worthy Heisman candidate, and he's still had an incredible year. And as we talked about earlier, the fact that Kyle Pitts didn't play in that game against LSU was a complete game changer. So to me, Trask is the best quarterback in the SEC. If you look at his numbers overall, 
And I think Florida can hang with anyone at any given point just due to how great their offense is, especially when they have Kyle Pitts back in. My only concern with Florida is their rushing attack. It's been very mediocre this year, especially for the SEC. And Alabama does have a great rushing defense. Mac Jones has also played incredibly well. He's definitely helped his draft capital. And Alabama this year has really looked unstoppable. My pick for this is Alabama's obviously going to win. I don't think anyone can question that. But the 13 and a half points is where it gets interesting. And I think Florida can cover. They need to avenge their embarrassment last week. They come out motivated with Pitts back on the field. Hopefully they won't throw another shoe. But I think they can cover the 13 and a half points. Alabama's still going to win this. Let's be real. Man, I understand what you're saying. But but again, I I don't think Florida has anything to play for. They're not going to make the playoff. Alabama has everything to play for. Mac Jones has had a pretty good year himself. Obviously, it doesn't hurt to have Devontae Smith back there and uh, Najee Harris. But this game, Alabama, in my opinion, was already a step above Florida just because I think Alabama's defense is better. But I, I see this one getting ugly. I think that Florida's, like I said, they're, they're not going to have a ton to play for and they're not going to be too motivated. So Kyle Trask has to throw for four touchdowns for this to be any kind of game. But I, I'm going to say the tide rolls. I'm, I'm going to say they, they win big. Hypothetical scenario here. Let's say Florida somehow beats Alabama convincingly by two touchdowns, and they win the SEC. Do they get into the playoff, or do they even have a case to get in? The only way that happens is, one, they have to drum Alabama. Two, Ohio State has to lose to Northwestern. And three, Tennessee has to beat Texas A&M. That's, to me, that's the only way it gets in, because I think it's going to be hard to keep Alabama out, even with the loss. But, yes, theoretically, if they just come out and lay an absolute egg, it could happen. But Florida's going to have to have about seven or eight dominoes fall for them to at least have a chance. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, it's crazy. I never would have thought that Florida would have lost to LSU. I really liked them going into this year. Yes, I did too. But it just goes to show you Florida thinking that they're better than LSU. You can never underestimate your opponent. Even though LSU's had a terrible year, man, the SEC is still decently tight with the team's talent level similar. I mean, LSU is still top five recruiting classes. It's not like they're just devoid of talent. They just haven't been able to put anything together. So Dan Mullen really uh, failed at getting their troops going last week. So, you know, he's just going to have to live with it. So how confident are you in our bet that Dan Mullen will win a national championship over Kirby Smart? Oh, I still think Kirby- Smart's going to win it over. I mean, if you look at look at the blunder that Dan Mullen just made, you can't feel too confident about that. Kirby Smart has had the same football team for the past four years, and they have never gotten any better. They have always been stacked. They just need a, they just need a quarterback. Put Kyle well, Trask on, on the Bulldogs. Well, you know, they had Justin Fields back there, but they told him to get lost. So that's kind of where – That's a fair point. That's a fair if point. You, that was Kirby Smart. No, Dan Mullen has consistently elevated the Florida program back to prominence. Man, probably next year won't be the year because Kyle Trask is probably going to go pro. But, man, once he gets another quarterback in there with two or three years of experience, man, look out. So let's kick it over to some NFL coverage. Week 14 – was pretty crazy with some major upsets. We have the Eagles beating the Saints 24 to 21 in Jalen Hurts' first start. Zach, what were your takeaways from this game? Man, Hurts looked good. He threw for 167 and ran for another 106 yards. Philly scored, you know, 17 points in the second quarter and they held off the Saints rally, but 
I think it shows that uh, something good for the Eagles for the future, but most importantly, I think this showed that the Saints are really vulnerable without Drew Brees in there. And if they want any success this year, he has to be healthy. Yeah, the Saints can't make a deep run with Taysom Hill. As much as I like the guy and as much as I want to see him do well, I don't think it's possible to really contend for a Super Bowl with him. I thought Hurts played okay. His passing yards were very mediocre. I know he got it done on the ground, but a tendency that we know in the NFL is once teams have some film to study, they're usually able to mitigate that pretty well. If he can't put up better statistics passing the ball, then I don't know if he's going to be the guy in Philly. I understand, and I'm not knocking your statement there, but I, I mean, one, it was his first start. And two, I don't know if they win if Carson Wentz is in there, especially given the way he has been playing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he did well. You know, he was never a great passer of the ball anyways in college, but he was always decent. That's always been his flack, his um, demerit anyway. So he's got to improve on that for sure. Yeah, he definitely gave them a spark that they need. The Eagles theoretically still have a chance at winning the NFCs, but they're going to need a lot of help from Washington imploding. So we'll see what happens. There you go. So next game, this pains me and agonizes me to even talk about. I have to admit, I was wrong. I was completely wrong. I'll suck it up. I'll take the loss like a man. I hate it, but I was wrong. The Bills surpassed Pittsburgh as the number two team in the AFC, winning 26-15. to After watching the game, I can't even argue with it. And I, I just have to give the Bills the respect that they deserve. One of my main takeaways from this game was the Ben Roethlisberger pick six kind of shifted the momentum into the Bills' favor, and then after that, they took care of business. If we take away the pick six, I still don't know that the Steelers win just because their offense looks so anemic. And they have a huge issue right now with being able to run the ball. If everything gets put on Ben's shoulders and he has to throw 50 passes a game, I really don't know that the Steelers can make a deep run. They need some sort of run game to really have a chance at making it to the Super Bowl. Their defense is still elite, and I think they play great. They definitely weren't the problem here. But I got to tip my cap to Buffalo. Give Josh Allen the credit that he deserved. I mean, he threw two picks, but he bounced back. The Bills' defense played amazing. Tredavious White is a shutdown corner. This hurts. It hurts a lot. But Pittsburgh's now my number three AFC team. Man, Dalton, I'm not the kind of guy who would uh, tell you I told you so, but uh, I hate <laughs> what, to say what that. What are you doing right now? What are you about to say right now? Neil's not on the show with us this week, but I'm going to give him a shout out. Neil and I both saw this coming. We, you know, we talked a little bit last week about the Bills defense being pretty good, not quite elite, but man, they played well. Josh Allen did throw an interception, was tipped, and he got nothing on the ball. Pittsburgh made a good play on that, but the Bills are for real. Let's just be real here. This is going back to what we talked about three weeks ago or a month ago when we were talking about our Super Bowl contenders and their strengths and weaknesses. Man, the Steelers can't run the ball. They had 47 yards rushing, man. Like you just said, James Conner has got to step up. I don't know if it's him or if it's give him hell Benny Snell or what, but they have got to get better at that. And, and like you said, they can't sling it 50 times a game because let's be honest, they're not playing in a dome in the playoffs. It's going to be cold, nasty, and wet. They're going to need to be able to run the ball to have success. Yeah, like you said, man, the Bills are my number two. I called it last week. They have the Broncos, the Pats, and the Dolphins left. They're going to run the table. You know, I think they'll win the first two for sure, but the Dolphins could be interesting. But uh, man, it's cool to see Josh Allen keep progressing. And man, Stephon Diggs is a bad man. It sucks, but I was advocating for the Steelers to draft a running back this year because it was such a great running back draft class. I don't know why the Steelers didn't spend their second round pick on a guy like Jonathan Taylor or J.K. Dobbins. I was actually pissed after the draft because 
I didn't think McFarland, the fourth rounder out of Maryland, would really pan out. I don't think James Conner is a franchise running back anymore, so they needed to take a running back, and now it's really starting to hurt them. They just both, even the Bills, it was a sloppy game. I mean, it was, it was the weather was the weather was nasty, but it was a sloppy game. Just the fact that the Bills won by that margin was surprising to me. But both good teams. The pick six had a lot to do with it. Though. It did, it did. But I mean, at the same the time, the Steelers man, really controlled the game for most of the first half, besides one play. Sure, sure. But I also will credit uh, the Bills and McDermott for keeping those guys focused because it, I thought the same thing. I thought in the first first quarter, I was like, man, man I don't think the Bills can play with Pittsburgh. They're moving the ball a little bit and whatever. But um, I think, again, I said it last week, I'll say it again. The Bills are the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC. As much as I don't like to admit this, I, I have to agree with you. After watching the Steelers the last two weeks, I'm, I'm losing faith. Hey, remember what we talked about, though? Only one fifteen and one team that ever won the Super Bowl. So maybe this is a blessing in disguise for you. Yeah. Well, hopefully the Chiefs go 15-1 and one and then they, they choke in the first <laughs> round. At, well, second round after they get their bye. So next game, we have the Falcons and the Chargers. This was to be expected. Crazy ending, as I mentioned. Shane Steichen being the Adam Gase Award nomination and his horrible play calling. But Matt Ryan also threw an interception as the Falcons were driving down, looking like they were going to close out the game. And then the Chargers end up hanging on 20-17. to 17. So we were pretty right in our assessment of this. We didn't think either team would want to win, but someone had to become victorious, and luckily, fate fell the Chargers' way this time. <coughs> the choke bowl. Ah. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. We we both called this last week. Um, do you want to win? I don't want to win. No, I don't want to win. It's great. I mean, the Chargers get a win, but I'm kind of confused that they moved themselves out of that top tier of draft picks. But hey, you got to win. Right. So I rode the Vikings train last week, and it's come back to haunt me. But here's what I do want to say. Dan Bailey, you are terrible. You have clearly lost the ability to make a field goal. Maybe it's just the fact that Vikings kickers overall are cursed. Look at Blair Walsh in the playoffs against Seattle. Look at Morton Anderson shanking field goals in the Super Bowl. It's tragic, but you know, Dan Bailey missed four field goals in this game, Zach. Had he made that, it would have been 26-26 going to overtime. I don't think the Vikings played that bad, and I thought Kirk Cousins actually had a really good showing. But now it's tough to say that they're going to make the playoffs. That pretty much cost them a playoff spot. So Dan Bailey, I'm sure Viking Nation is very upset with you. I may have to take the blame on this. Let me just say this for years. When Dan Bailey was kicking for the Cowboys, he was the best kicker. I mean, he was statistically the most accurate kicker of all time at one point. Never missed. I put hexes on him to miss against the Giants so many times that they would never happen. So maybe this is my fault that the hexes are finally coming true. It's time to hang him up, man. Kickers, when they lose it, man, it's gone. He uh, he needs to get out. Vikings had the ball for 40 minutes in this game, and you only put up 12 points. Are you kidding me? You got to do better than that. Two and four in the red zone ain't going to cut it. I understand field goals were missed, but at the same time, you got to be able to punch it in if you want to win these games. Only 635 yards combined from both teams in this game. So pretty yeah, defensive. Yeah, it was a slugfest for sure, but the Vikings have got to be able to score more than 12 points. I understand the field goal kicking, but touchdowns win. So let's give a quick little Monday Night Football recap. The Ravens beat the Browns 47-42. to I'll give the Browns credit. They hung in this game. I really didn't even think they would. But as I mentioned on the last podcast, the Browns cannot beat the Ravens or the Steelers. They still, while their record is 9-4, and and they've had a very good year, especially for being the Cleveland Browns, 
They're still not ready to hang with the big boys in the north, the Ravens or the Steelers. Lamar Jackson played a lot better this game. You know, he really bounced back. The Ravens as a whole bounced back. I think they're going to run the table. I think they're going to go 11 and 5, and they might even jump Cleveland in the north. Yeah, this was a wild game. Cleveland put up 22 in the fourth quarter, but, you know, they just couldn't pull it out. In the last two minutes alone, there were two touchdowns, a field goal, and a safety. Browns put up 500 yards of offense, but like you said, Lamar Jackson pulled it out, went to the locker room. I know some people <laughs> said officially it was cramps, but I think just uh, nature was calling there, and he had to go relieve some pressure, but came out like Superman. He came out and won the game. So I'm not arguing with you. The Ravens are a good team. I know that – even if they go 11 and 5, they, they underperform for a lot of people, but it's good to see they got the ball back rolling. Browns have beat a lot of bad teams this year. I will be the first to admit I picked them to win this game, but uh, I still think that they're not on the contender status. I still think that they got a lot to prove. Yeah, but it's crazy to me that how so many people jump on their bandwagon so fast. Like, do you forget what's happened to the Browns over the last decade? Just because they have a winning record for the first time, everyone's going to come out here and say, oh, they're going to beat the Steelers, they're going to beat the Ravens. Until I see it happen, I'm not going to pick that, and I'm not going to give them sure. the credit. They have to prove I, it to me. I think you're right. I think people are just name-chasing Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett. Jarvis Baker Landry. played well. He played probably one of his best games of his career, but it still wasn't enough. That's right. You give up 45 points, you, you don't deserve to win. That's all on the Browns' D. So we're going to reduce the amount of games that we picked this week just because we spent more time on the conference championships. Well, let's start out, Zach, with 9-4 and four Seattle taking on 6-7 and seven Washington. Seattle took care of business against the Jets. They really needed that win, but they looked basically unstoppable. And Washington surprised me by beating San Francisco last week, 23-15. Did not see that coming, but... Washington might be for real. You know, they might have a winning record going into the playoffs and we don't have to make fun of the NFC East anymore for maybe having a 6-10 and 10 team win the, win the divisions. They played a lot better. They've been bouncing back, but I think Seattle keeps rolling. They're going to start peaking at the right time, starting to get ready for the playoffs. I'll take Seattle to win this one. Did you really just say somebody that played the Jets looked unstoppable? <laughs> at times throughout the season, when Russell Wilson's on and when Russell Wilson's cooking, their offense has looked unstoppable. No this doubt. was certainly one of their times. Absolutely. I get that it was against the Jets. I do get that. I get that argument. But but I think the Coastal Carolina Chunkleteers could make a run against being unstoppable against the Jets. That's fair. The Seahawks are tied with the Rams for the division lead. Uh, Washington's got the lead in, in the NFC East. Washington's defense is playing well of late. They absolutely terrorized Nick Mullins in that San Francisco offense last week. I know they're banged up in short term, but I still think Seattle's got some Jekyll and Hyde in them. I'm going to take Washington. Washington's the hot hand. and uh, both They they have beat some good teams. Both teams need this win more than anything and need it bad, but uh, I'm going to have to take Washington. Seattle's going to have to prove to me that they're they're back on track, so I'll take the uh, Washington football team. So you mentioned the Rams being tied with Seattle. I remember in a previous podcast that you were very skeptical of the Rams. Are you on the train now that they completely stomped the Patriots, as I was trying to tell you guys last week in their previous matchup? Well, let's just hold on now. If you will go back to last week's episode, you will clearly hear that I stated that the Rams will lose this game if Cam Newton plays average or better. Cam Newton was benched. Cam Newton played awful. Okay, so technically I was not wrong. I missed the game. I missed picking the game, but my reason 
for it was not wrong. I think the Rams have actually been more consistent than the Seahawks, especially of late. The Seahawks are more talented offensively, but obviously the defense is leaning more towards Los Angeles. As of now, I I think I'm going to swap. I think I'd have to put some money on the Rams winning the division. I hope they don't, but I think that they will. Interesting. What about you? Are you sticking with the Rams? Are you taking the unstoppable Seahawks after they beat the Jets? (laughs) I'm still going to ride with Seattle. That was my pick to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, my preseason prediction. So I'm still going to roll with that, but I wouldn't be shocked. I'd have to really dig deep into their remaining schedule, but I still think Seattle can do it. So next game, we just talked about this a little bit earlier. We have the reeling six and seven Patriots facing off against the eight and five Dolphins. The Dolphins, I'm going to give them a lot of respect for the way that they bounced back and hung in there against the Chiefs last week. They did. They played really well, and I think the Dolphins have really showed that they're a dangerous team. I hope the Steelers don't have to play them. I really don't, because if they do, I mean, it's Miami's a very dangerous team in the AFC. Mike Gesicki, tight end out of Penn State, looked a lot better. Their running game starting to come back to form. Brian Flores, to me, should be one of the coach of the year candidates for the performance that he's had so far. And they made it interesting with the Chiefs last week. Patriots, I think their season's done. This could be a game that Bill Belichick somehow pulls out of his ass, but I don't think it's going to happen. I'll take the Dolphins. Yeah, going to your point there, let's just say if the Steelers play the Dolphins in the playoffs, it's going to be in in Pittsburgh when it's cold and nasty. It's not going to be down there in the warmth and nice weather of that dome in, in Miami. So I think you'll be okay. But man... As much as I hate to say it, I think the Patriots, they need to give up on Cam. He just He's just let me down week after week after week. I, I don't know. He just doesn't have it right now. You're right. The Dolphins did look really good against the Chiefs. The defense was really opportunistic against Mahomes. They just came up short. I'm going to take the Fins. I think they're going to be 9-5 and five after this week. And you're right. Brian Flores does deserve the coach of the year. What does it say about the Chiefs, though, that Patrick Mahomes can throw three interceptions and still they can win convincingly? I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's it's honestly unfair at this point. But you can right. throw three interceptions and it really doesn't matter. They still win the game. Uh, to me, I just think that that shows how much more talented they are than everybody else, that he can have the worst game statistically of his career and they can still pretty much put it in the bag. The Chiefs are just really good, man. You To beat them, you are going to have to – I don't think it's possible to outscore them. I don't, and I don't think you can shut them down. I think you're going to have to control the clock and go on some long drives uh, to shorten the game. You know, I don't see Roethlisberger outscored them, and I don't see the Bills shutting them down. You're going to have to really And the problem with the Bills, too, is like the Steelers, they also can't run the ball. So that's very favorable for the Chiefs. I had a, a big talk with one of my good friends that's a Chiefs fan, and he was actually telling me yesterday that the Titans were his biggest fear because the Titans, because the Chiefs can't stop Derrick Henry. And, I mean, you you look last year, the Titans were up big on them in the playoffs. The Chiefs came back and won. Problem with the – Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to count the Titans out, especially with King Henry. He might hit 2,000 yards. He might break Dickerson's rushing record. Think about that. The problem Possibly. with the Titans is that I don't think that Tannehill is a good serviceable quarterback, but I don't think he can compliment Henry enough to keep scoring because you've got to keep scoring. It, it's it's tough. That's why the Chiefs are, are, are where they are, 12-1, and one, and, and that's why they won the Super Bowl last year. Right. So we just spent a lot of time talking about them, but the next matchup we have on our slate is the 12-1 and one Chiefs versus the 10-3 and three Saints. We saw that the Saints definitely have weaknesses with Drew Brees out. You know, they got exploited last week by Philadelphia. While it was a close game without Drew Brees, I I really 
don't think that Taysom Hill can hang with him. And maybe this is a bounce back game for Sean Payton and he, he surprises all of us. But until I see otherwise, I'm going to keep rolling with the Chiefs. Yeah, I agree. At the time of this, uh, Drew Brees is still questionable. I don't think it matters. I think no weather issues in there inside that dome. I think Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are going to go off. I just think the Chiefs are going to win. But I will say this, Kansas City needs to finish a game and shut the door. All the time, they go up huge, and these teams creep back into it only to come up short. I'd like to see Kansas City shut the door one time. That's a good point. Next game, we have a battle in the NFC North. The 6-7 and seven Bears versus the 6-7 and seven Vikings. I rode both teams last week. The Bears proved me right. The Vikings proved me wrong. But when I analyze these two teams, I still think the Vikings have the edge offensively, especially with wide receivers. I know Mitch played great. He really did have one of the best games of his career. Might have saved his job for a little while, and he had the Bears offense rolling last week. But if the Vikings can actually make some field goals, I do think that they're the better team. They have a better running attack. They have better weapons on the outside. And I do think that Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Mitch Trubisky. This one will be a close, nail-biter type of game, but I'm going to ride with the Vikings. Hopefully they don't prove me wrong twice. Battle of the underwhelming here. I'm going the other way. I think Trubisky has played better of late, and it just seems like the Vikings always let you down, man. I, I'm thinking it's going to come down. They're going to be down by by one or two and kicking a field goal to win the game and miss it and lose. So I'm going to take the, the Bears. Could happen. Could happen. Next game, we have the 10-3 and three Buffalo Bills versus the 5-8 and eight Denver Broncos. Drew Locke. Let's talk about him for a minute. Where did that come from? I didn't see it. He had the best QBR of any quarterback this season. He put on an absolute incredible performance. That's what I don't understand about Drew Locke. Some weeks, he looks terrible. Looks like he's a complete bust and that the Broncos should move on. But then every once in a while, he comes out and has a game like this where everyone believes he's a franchise quarterback and he really starts to look like the next John Elway. But they still have to play the Bills this week. And the Bills are obviously coming off a huge win over Pittsburgh. Defense is playing a lot better. We talked a lot about them earlier and how they are easily the number two team in the AFC. It's not really debatable anymore. So I'll take the Bills to stay hot, even though Drew Locke played a lot better. But we'll see if he can do it twice. Man, this just screams letdown game after that big win on Sunday night for the Bills. Ah, man, Drew Locke did play well. To me, honestly, this is the hardest game for me to pick because I just see the Bills just laying an absolute egg, but I'm going to ride with him. I think Drew Locke, he played well, but I, I just don't think that the Broncos can beat him. I'm going to take Buffalo. Do you think Locke is the answer in Denver, or do you still think they need to move on? He had a really good game last week, but I'm going to need to see some more sample size before I just claim him the victor. Agreed. Next matchup, we have the 9-4 and four, Cleveland Browns facing off against the New York football giants who are five and eight. Daniel Jones is clearly not the answer. I think had the giants relied on Colt McCoy earlier, they might have had a better chance of winning last week. The Browns really did play well against the Ravens. As I was talking about earlier, they came up just short. They're still not quite an AFC contender. They're definitely a playoff team, and they're good. And against inferior competition, they've proven to be very consistent this year. And I think the Giants realize that their playoff hopes are pretty much over. So I'll take the Browns. And this yeah. might be the first time I've picked the Cleveland Browns in this podcast history. 
<laughs> yeah, I think that the G-Men have come back down to earth. The Browns are due for a big bounce game, and, and really and truly they need it with Baltimore breathing down their neck. I think the Browns are going to come out and put a good show on. I'll, I'll take Cleveland, your favorite team. Yeah, I love the Brownies. <laughs> I'm going to get that on sound clip and just play it over and over and over. Yeah, well, if the Browns, they beat the Steelers, I have to change the Patreon profile page to the Cleveland Browns logo. Oh. So I am praying that that doesn't happen. And by the way, if you guys enjoy our content and you want to see the show grow and you want us to continue coming out with new segments, you can support us at patreon.com slash calling my shots. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, our handle is at caller shots. Tweet at us. Let us know if you agree with our picks. If we're complete idiots who shouldn't be talking sports. That's right. Leave us a comment. Leave us a like. Send us a smoke signal or a carrier pigeon, man. Let us know what you think. So last matchup, we have the 4-8-1 and one Philadelphia Eagles facing off against the Arizona Cardinals, who are 7-6. and six. Cardinals and Eagles both took care of business last week. Kyler Murray had a bounce-back game. The Cardinals looked really well against the Giants. But the Eagles had a very convincing win against the Saints. My question is, can the Eagles do it? Can we trust them? Can we trust them to win bounce back games? Can Jalen Hurts hang with that pretty solid Arizona secondary? The Cardinals are battling for a playoff spot. I'm still not sold on the Eagles. (laughs) I think Zach's right. I'm going to take the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm holding up a no, can we trust them? No, absolutely not. We can't. They had a really good game against New Orleans, but let's be real here. If Drew Brees is playing that game, it may be different. Jalen Hurts, good game. Show me some more. I'm going to need to see some more. Cardinals are really struggling of late. They need a win for their playoff lives. They are falling out of that NFC West uh, with the Rams and Seahawks holding steady, so they need a win. They're holding the number three wild card right now. They are. Just barely, they are. Just barely. They are, but the warmth of that Arizona Dome is a lot nicer than going to play up in Seattle or something. So I'm going Cardinals. I think that uh, Kyler Murray's due for a big game. I-, I think a lot of the NFL is momentum and bounce backs, and I think they're due for a big bounce back game. Be better considering we have the fantasy playoffs starting, and I have them in two of my leagues that I've made the playoffs in. So if he doesn't, I'm going to be quite disappointed because I thought I was a genius for drafting him all year. And he's really played well, except for the last couple of weeks. So if he shits the bed now, in the first round of the playoffs, I'm going to be pissed. I would just like to take this moment to point out that I started 0-3 this year in our league. And uh, I made the playoffs, which kept the streak alive. I am 100% every league I've ever participated in, which has probably been 15 to 20. I have made the playoffs every time, so... I didn't, I didn't think you were going to get in, Zach. It was close. We had to win yesterday, but uh, we pulled it out. He snuck in there. Unfortunately, I'm not facing off against Zach. I'm playing another one of our hopeful listeners. I think he's still a listener. Christian McMaffrey. Just want to say, you better bring your A game. I've been on an absolute tear. I know I lost a uh, bullshit matchup last week by .4 points, but it really doesn't matter. We knew it was going to come down to this. We're one and two in our division. Bring your A game. Be ready. It's coming. Ah, good old fantasy football playoffs. Well, all I'll say is uh, Devontae Parker didn't do me really any good this weekend. Give me a big old goose egg. But thankfully, we rode Derrick Henry into the playoffs. So hopefully he can keep pummeling out. I hope you're right. I hope he does go for 300 yards this weekend. Go for Eric Dickerson's record because that'll only help me. So Yeah, I have Henry in another league too. So I'll definitely be pulling for him. But stay tuned on Monday because we're going to release our top 10 hockey centers of all time. This is another incredibly hard list to rank. Been going through it and there's just so many guys. It's You can make a lot of different arguments, but 
I feel good about my list. Zach's pretty well versed in hockey too, so it should be should be a great episode. Yeah, so we're gonna have like a instead of a swear jar, we're gonna have a little jar for every time we mispronounce a French pronunciation. We're gonna throw a quarter or something in there. So uh, make sure you check in for that. It's gonna be a good episode. We're excited to do it. Jean uh, we both Bellevue, Bellevue, Jean Bellevue, Le Magnifique, Marcel Dion. We'll see. It'll be good. Two Southern boys talking hockey. We're ready for it. That wraps up this week's episode of Call My Shots. It'll be a great football weekend, conference championships, pivotal. NFL matchups, getting ready for the playoffs, so be glued to your TV. That's right. Don't be afraid to leave us a like, drop us a comment, do whatever you need to do. Let us know how we're doing, and thanks for listening. This has been Calling My Shots.